0: Good morning and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. Uh, Today's guest is someone who I didn't realize was a a guest for a radio show when I first met her. Um, I didn't know too much about her, but as we were talking casually about some things going on in her life, she just happened to um, mention as an aside, and things are a little crazy because of the foster kids that we have now, and I said, wait, what was that? What did you just say? Um, and it was one of those situations where um, when there's a bad thing that happens in the Orthodox Jewish community, every paper is on it, everyone's sharing it, it goes viral, you know, everyone is just so excited to spread the the negative stories. But um, what you end up having is that there's so many people that are involved in acts of chesed and acts of kindness and it's incredible, you know, selfless uh, uh, things day in and day out that nobody— Writes up about nobody shares, nobody knows it. It happens quietly. It happens modestly um, to preserve the anonymity of the children that this family is helping. We're not even going to tell you the full name of this guest. Just that um, her name is Badija. She lives in a city in the southwest. Um, but uh, we're delighted for Badija to be joining us today. Good morning. Good morning, Alison. Thanks so much for uh, for spending some time to to share your story with us. Oh, well, my pleasure. So, um, I guess just to sort of establish a little bit about your background and your husband's background um, to understand, you know, where you guys are coming from from a religious perspective, could you give our listeners a little information about how uh, you and your husband grew up uh, in terms of Jewish observance?
1: Sure. Both my husband and I grew up in shomer shabbat homes. Um, both of us, our parents, are Balichuva, so our, our parents took on this way of living before we were born, and um, and both of us grew up in in a home. Where chessed was just the way it worked, and we, you know, kind of grew up in a in a home where we were told from a very early age that we're part of this global, um, greater thing, and it's our job to take responsibility and to accept and be a part of it.
0: Beautiful. So, um, is did you meet uh, families that had taken in foster kids in the past? Was this something that just sort of came out of nowhere? Was something you were thinking about for a while? Can you walk us through? What this looked like?
1: Sure. Um, about a year ago, in our community, there were um, some some children that ended up in foster care, and Jewish family put out a call asking for Shomershadas people to step up and get licensed to be foster parents because clearly there, there unfortunately, there was a need and there were no uh, licensed homes. So about a year ago, in that particular situation, those children ended up in a non-Jewish home until some of the rabbis of our community stepped forward and said, you know, we'll take those kids. So my husband and I did step up, and we went through. Um, it's a very long process. It took over six months to get licensed. And we really had no intention of ever taking children. We kind of joked with the person who was doing a home inspection that we're never going to see you again because this doesn't really happen in our community.
0: So, um, you said you we stepped up, but that you made a pretty big decision sound kind of uh, you know smaller or not not such a big deal. What did that? Who who heard about it first? You, your husband? Was there a conversation? Was it? Can you? Um,
1: it was an email that went out. from Jewish family. Um, and we both saw it, and we both kind of just looked at it and said, you know, together. I mean, it was very clearly something that we didn't really, we hadn't discussed really previously, but it was clearly something that we were both on really the same page about.
0: And how wh- how long was the process from the time that you got the email to the time that you responded to say we are stepping up to the task to take on? You, how how old are the kids that
1: uh, that you have so brought into our our, our kid? The kids that we've taken in are one and three. Um, the and they're wonderful little kids. And, you know, and it's interesting because we always tell people, you know, if we were in crisis and we couldn't take care of our children, we would fully expect for the Jewish community to step up and take care of our children because that's really what we feel, that we're part of this community. And it's it's our job to take care of each other.
0: And do you know who the parents are? Had you, had you known them to some capacity before this need arose?
1: We kind of saw them around, um, but it wasn't something that we could... There were other people kind of involved with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we couldn't be because of just the situation. My husband mm-hmm. was actually out of the country. Um he spent the whole summer night still with our twelve year old as about the Bat-Mixer trip. So he Oh went- so now you have your own kids as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And
0: ha- how many how many kids do you and your husband have together?
1: So we have we have two girls, um five and twelve. Mm-hmm. And um, our five year old when we told her that the kids were coming was so excited. Her um, She's in kindergarten, and her kindergarten teacher had them do—they they came to us right before Rosh Hashanah. And her kindergarten teacher had her the whole class do a project and a moxa for Rosh Hashanah. And part of the last page of the makhsar, it was a thank you letter to Mommy and Tati. And most of the kids, you know, thank you for our special yentus food and special uh, thank you for our special clothes. And my little one wrote, thank you, Mommy and Tati, for making me a big sister.
0: Wow. Very sweet. And so how did you explain to her what you were doing, uh, bringing in these children that you know, were not part of your family, you were making part of your family? How do you explain such a thing to a child?
1: Um, well, we told them that they're not happy, couldn't take care of them right now, but it's our hope that they will you know, get what they need to do and be able. the children will be able to go home. And we wanted from the very beginning for our kids to understand that this is temporary and that it's our job to help these kids as much as possible. And it's absolutely amazing the way they've responded. Um, to ask my 12-year-old to clean her room, she didn't hear me. <laughs> but to <laughs> so ask she's normal. Her to change okay. the diaper, she, she jumps on it. Like, no problem, mommy, whatever you need. So hmm. the, the, our children have responded to having additional children in the house absolutely beautifully. Because
0: hmm, you could imagine that kids might be jealous or might, you know, feel and like... Beautiful. So, so, um, so I interrupted myself before. So from the time that you saw the email to the time that you went to the, um, this agency and said we're up for the task, how, how long of a period was that?
1: It was probably about a week. We were, was a, was a, the email came out right before Sukkis. We were away for Sukkis. By the time that we came back after youngsters, we were already signed up to take the classes. And it took, we didn't, so this was Sukkis' time when we started taking these classes. We didn't actually get our license until July. That's how long of a process it is. It's a very invasive, long process. It's 30 hours of training, plus they want to go through all your financial records. The state wants to make sure that you're able to take care of these kids, that you're not in it for the money. Um, they, they go through a home inspection. You have to you, All your medication has to be locked away. Um, all your refrigerator has to be the right temperature. It's a very invasive thing. They want to huh. know about your families and your childhood. And, and your your child rearing um, modus operandi and, and how that looks in your house and it's it's a very long process.
0: So I was going. My next question was going to be what are the challenges that come up with uh, with such a process. So it sounds like just even the screening is a challenge, and you're making yourself very vulnerable and very open. How about since you brought the kids into your house, have there been challenges involved with that?
1: So yeah, there's there's always challenges. I mean, one of the just the most basic. Um, everyday challenge that we have is the three-year-old is a girl, and so we have yichud issues that arise on a regular basis. Meaning that we, I can't leave the three-year-old home alone with my husband um, because men and women who you know aren't married don't aren't alone together in a closed room. So there's there's those type of everyday issues, and so we've had to just turn our lives upside down to make sure that we're able to meet the needs of the children and um, there's various therapies that they're involved in and um, special schooling that they're both involved in and just the logistics of getting four children to school and daycare and making sure that everybody's needs are met and um, the parents that these children get to visit with them and make sure that that that's done appropriately and um, so it's all those you know things kind of coming together.
0: Wait, so now you said they have to go to special schooling, or do they have their own special needs? I'm saying besides just needing a family to care for them, or do they have some sort of... Well, I mean, sort of-
1: when you have children that are coming into care, unless, like, you know, God forbid, the parents were in a car accident or something very already started, any children in foster care are going to have special needs because they weren't, you know, in the type of home that we would have.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that kind of goes without saying that children in foster care have special needs. So. Um, the three-year-old's in a special preschool, the baby's in a special daycare, and they get all sorts of behavioral therapy and occupational and physical therapy and just things to try to get them up to par where they should be.
0: Hmm. You know, we're in an age now where there are, you know, a decent number of couples that can't even picture giving to their own children that they adopt a dog at first as a couple because, you know, they're not sure if they're ready for the commitment or for maybe, you know, what... Um, bringing a child into the world entails, here you have gone now and, you know, opened yourself up to all sorts of giving and all sorts of stress for complete strangers. Is there a, a place that you tap into personally for where that well of giving comes from? Do you, do you understand the question? Like, where, where does that strength, where I think, does that...
1: I think, you know, both my husband and I grew up in a place where we were taught that we're responsible and we're a community and we're responsible for each other. And we've seen that Time and time again, everybody has a story about how they got stuck for Shabbos and called a friend of a friend and ended up at a complete stranger's home. And my husband and I really view this as an extension of that same um, mindset and same atmosphere that, God forbid, something ever should happen to us, you know, what would we want done with our children? I mean, obviously we'd want them to go to family, but if family couldn't step up for whatever reason, who would we want to take care of them, and how would we want them taken care of? And it's the same, it's the same token that you know, these children, they're part of our extended family, and how are we going to take care of them, and how are we going to show that we're responsible for them?
0: So I think what I'm hearing is the um, the, the uh, expression of the teaching, I believe it's from uh, Ethics of the Fathers, uh, arabim uh, that every Jew is responsible exactly. for one another. Would that kind of sum up where, where this comes from? Exactly. So that's, exactly. Uh, what's incredible is that you know, a lot of us pay lip service to that and believe in that sort of thing when someone has a baby and, you know, you make them a dinner or, you know, uh, someone needs a place to crash for the night. But um, to open your home up to two strangers um, is really, truly remarkable. How about the community? What kind of a response has the community had for, for you guys doing
1: this? So we found out that we were getting the kids on at noon on a Friday. And um, I called a friend of mine who's very involved in the community and and has her finger on everything. And I called her up and I said, the kids are coming in two hours and I'm just not ready for them. And by the time the kids showed up, um, just a few hours later, we had had men brought over cribs and people dropped off clothing. People dropped off shopping food. I now own three double strollers. I mean, just Uh the outpouring of the community in such a short amount of time is absolutely amazing. Um, We have people one of the children needs therapy then it starts at seven o'clock in the morning. I have a friend who takes my who I drop my, my other children off at her house at six thirty in the morning so that I can take him. Um, so there's there's just been a tremendous what can we do to help? Um, we actually get meals delivered to our home twice a week by people in the community because both my husband and I work full time so that's, you know, their way of showing support and help and so a lot of people um, from our community are involved.
0: Wow. Incredible. And um, what about someone who's sitting at home right now and wondering, maybe I could step up and do this too. Do you have any advice um, how to know if you've got what it takes to um, open yourself up and to help out in such a way if, if the need arose in, in someone else's community out there who's listening?
1: That's a very hard one. It's, you know, <laughs> as hard as you think it's going to be to take in these kids, it's, it's, it's harder. I wish someone, you know, had, not that I wish someone had told me that and I wouldn't have done it, but it, it's really hard to picture the situation unless you're actually in it. It's a, it's a, it's an, honestly, it's a very tough thing. Just make sure that you have, you have time and that you have love in your heart and that you're willing to open your home at any time for somebody to come in. We have, um, CPS comes. We have licensing workers that come. We have behavioral therapists that come. There are constantly people in our house. So our house has to be up to a certain, you know, level to make sure that, you know, they're not going to come in and be appalled. The last thing you want somebody to do is come in, you know, much Shabbos and your house is trash. <laughs> been there, done that. Uh, we've all been there, you know. <laughs> um, so, it, you know, you have to make sure that you just, you have all those things worked out and Make sure that you live in a community where you have that kind of support because I don't think we could have done it without the community support.
0: And the kids are little, still one and three. Are they able to express any sort of gratitude, Hakar Tov, to you and your husband for taking them in? Do they even understand how much you've bent your life uh, over backwards for for their well-being?
1: No, not at all. Um, They're they're babies. Um, They really are babies. They have absolutely no idea um, what we've been through and, and what we're going for them. Um, there is some. Ex- the, the children do have some extended family that lives out of state, and we have been in touch with them, and they've been very, very grateful um, and receptive to us. And you know, we appreciate having that relationship and having that door open. And it's it's really our, our hope that that when the children go home. Um, that we're able to, not to, to be a, a parent role for them, but just to, if they ever need anything, they can reach out to us to, to kind of continue and to be helpful in that way. Like you put your heart and soul into these kids. You don't want to close the door on them when they go home either. Hmm.
0: Wow. it's um, I'm saying, like, you to, to say all this, and also it's a thankless job, um, you know, all the work that you've put in, all the effort. Um, I'm uh, truly amazed. I'm sure everyone who is... Uh, Listening right now is also blown away by your um, your just tremendous giving and the strength that both of you possess and um, you know it's um, it's it's really inspiring and we're we're so proud to um, to share this story with our audience. Thank you so much for uh, for joining us today and uh, we wish you much much luck, much hatzlacha, a lot of strength uh, with these kids and um, and hopefully they'll be uh, reunited with their family in a a healthy and safe way uh, in the near future.
1: Thank you so much, Allison.
0: Okay, all the best. And speaking of people who have done incredible things to help others, um, we have another exciting guest for you to meet today. Her name is Sarah Castile, and she runs an organization called St. Louis Food Rescue. Sarah, thanks so much for joining us this morning.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having
0: me. Pleasure. Now, St. Louis actually is... Uh, has a special place in my heart because my best friend Tammy lives there. Hi, Tammy! So, um, and you actually know my friend as well. So, can you tell us what I find most um, exciting or interesting about this organization is um, it was founded by kind of an interesting person. Could you tell us a little bit about that? I'm sorry,
1: can you repeat what you said? Oh, sure,
0: yeah. The, the organization was founded by someone unexpected. Um, an unexpected person founded your organization. Yeah, so
1: it's actually a really cool story. My friend Nate started the organization a few years ago. I think he was just a sophomore in high school and he started it. Um, he's the kind of person that saw a need and went after it. And he really brought it to great places. And then he ended up passing it on to me a couple years ago. And it's been a really great opportunity to be so young and be able to run such a big organization.
0: So, um, just for anyone who didn't miss that because I wasn't so clear, so your friend Nate, who was a sophomore in high school, founded um, a, a food rescue organization, which I just boggles my mind because I'm in my 30s and I'm still trying to figure out how to found an organization, so maybe I need to take lessons from a high schooler. We, what was the need that he saw and how did he go about doing it? So,
1: there's, the St. Louis city is kind of an overlooked area. Um, Some cities, you know, New York, people see homeless people often on the streets and they are aware of them. In St. Louis, not so many people visit the city, so there's a large homeless population that's very, very underserved there. And Nate became aware of the issue through a variety of volunteer service that he was doing at the time, and he saw how much need there was for food and for various other things that the homeless people aren't really getting, such as shelter and clothing. Um, which we've also been addressing recently with St. Louis Food Rescue. And so he realized that something needed to be done. And another issue that he saw that was really important was food waste. And he saw how many grocery stores and other food retail places were throwing out a ton of food every day. So he went and put the two pieces together and created a link between the two. So now we were providing food that would have been thrown out and we're providing it to someone who really needs it.
0: That's incredible. Now, Nate also, in terms of his Jewish background, um, he's a Balchuva, correct? He became observant in high school? or
1: Yeah, so he also, he became religious at about the same time as me and through the same rabbi as me, actually. We kind of, we met at a volunteer thing approximately a year before becoming religious, and then we re-met again at the same rabbi's house the year later, and that's how I got involved with the organization from meeting him again.
0: So, how, so obviously both of you guys were sort of givers and, and doers and helpers before you became uh, Orthodox Jews. How does your religious observance, your religious philosophy impact uh, your role as giving and giving back to the world?
1: So I think it's really cool because I always had a very strong desire to help other people and I didn't really have a place where I was coming from. I wasn't really sure what kind of value it was. I mean, obviously, it's very important to help people no matter what religion you are, but I didn't know exactly why I had such a strong feeling towards it. And so when I became religious, I thought that that happened to be one of my mitos that was really strong from the get-go, and it was really cool for me to be able to learn about Hasid and our responsibility as Jewish people to help other people. And I've been learning a lot about the different Holokos, and it's fascinating to me how, how far of an extent you have to go to help someone else and it's really great for me that I, I already had that process going before I became religious, and now I'm kind of working it in with my Judaism.
0: One of the things that I think is uh, special about this organization, I think um, when you hear critics of the Orthodox community, and unfortunately there are many, one of the complaints that people have is uh, you only help your own. Um, now, I think in terms of just practically speaking, um, in terms of where tzedakah, where in terms of charity is uh, prioritized, there is an idea that I think all people can understand that you know sort of help needs to begin at, at home. And so, if your own family was struggling, you would give your most time, or your most money, or your most effort there. And then you would next look to your you know immediate community, and then you know maybe to your state, sort of wider and wider. So um, Jewish law does follow that. But at the same time, I think there's something nice about um, you know having initiatives that are not only about the Jewish community so that the rest of the world sees that we believe in, in helping all people and making the world a better place for all people. So um, who, who is uh, your organization impacting?
1: So, well, our organization actually impacts the entire span of citizens of St. Louis. We started out, when it started out, Nate was serving homeless shelters in both the city and the far west. So it was more of a geographical diversity. And then since I took over, we've been giving twice a week to Tom Clay Shavis of St. Louis. And so what that means is that we have special volunteers who go out twice a week and specifically pick out food for them based on finding kosher products. So they'll sort it before they take it. And then they also find specific things that people may need for Shabbos, and they find certain products that are requested. And so it's really great. To be able to be involved with the Jewish community, but also know that I'm serving other people who are also just as much in need, if not more in certain senses, such as the fact that they're homeless versus the Jewish families are all living in homes. So it's really nice to be able to help the whole city, and especially, I find I have a special connection, of course, to the Shabbos deliveries. I actually did them myself very often last year due to the lack of volunteer availability sometimes. Just because our organization is run by team only volunteers and Jewish teams happen to be in school later, so it was harder to find people that had a working schedule with this. But um, I think it's really cool to be able to incorporate my work with the entire city and also with specifically Jewish people.
0: So I've seen pictures of Nate. He wears a yarmulke, um, so that makes him obviously very visibly Jewish. Do you know if he ever ever had any interactions or have you ever had any interactions where someone not-Jewish recognize either of you as an observant Jew or as a Jewish person, and, it, you know, it was made a Kiddush Hashem, it made a, you know, a positive uh, impact about the uh, Jewish community for them?
1: Yeah, so I think um, there's a certain group of teenagers who come out and pick up food for a homeless shelter every Monday night, and since I was doing my deliveries, um, they happen simultaneously twice a week for the Tabbos Shabbos deliveries. So I really got to know them, and they actually completely, I think they're Christian, not Jewish, nothing, they, there's a very lacking knowledge of Judaism in the city, there's actually a whole program that goes out to public schools and teaches about Judaism.
0: That you don't have horns?
1: There's such a lack. Huh?
0: Oh, you didn't hear me? Said. I said that you guys don't have horns.
1: Yeah, so, so, um, so the, the teenagers, they, they were homeless, they were helping with the deliveries, um, in order to get more benefits from the homeless shelter. Mm-hmm. And they're actually one of were three siblings. The oldest one worked his way out of homelessness. And so anyway, um, I taught them how to sort of for kosher products, and I taught them a lot of different stuff about Judaism. It especially helped that I had been in that program that teaches in public schools because I knew exactly how to start with the basics to teach them. And mm-hmm. so I really think that that gave them an interesting perspective of Judaism as not just these other people, but people who care about helping them, even though we have... Basically,
0: nothing in common. I mean, we, you know, I think we have giving and, and helping the world. I think that you know there there are this the universal things that unite us, but maybe culturally we have we have less in common. Do you know um, sort of what Nate had to do, uh, what he went about for founding this organization? Like, it's one thing for a high school kid to have a, you know a great idea. I see surplus, I see need; um, those two should come together. But do you know about sort of the groundwork that he had to Accomplished because you know to get things moving for a person of any age, it's so much easier to just kind of get distracted and go on with life again. Once you have your great idea, do you know? Like, did he partner with anyone? Were there other people that were involved in in the founding of it that helped him make the connections between the hungry and the surplus of food?
1: So Nate, he um, he started out with Hobie. It's Hugh O'Brien Leadership Organization. It's a volunteer organization. Um, for high school students, and he he started out with a summer summit that I actually attended a couple years after he did, and so that's where he started getting, you know, basic information on how to put the pieces together. Um, The organization is primarily team-based. He had help from his parents, but I think really even when he was starting it, the majority was just coming from him. He's a really bright kid, and he really had the drive to do it. Since then, since I've taken over, I, I definitely had to learn the ropes kind of as I went along. I, it was an unexpected thing for me to take over so suddenly. There was the whole board, and it, it was a very complicated situation. Nate ended up in Israel at Technion, and he was pretty busy. So we had to kind of work out how to run the organization ourselves at the beginning, and I definitely sought a help on my own. I am currently working on a partnership with the St. Louis area food bank. We have a conference call coming up soon. And I've been in contact with several other organizations in the area and even national organizations I've been emailing to discuss potential partnerships and potential mentorships for their leadership and their different um, sectors of people to help me with different things, such as fundraising, which is a new thing that I'm working on. We really don't need money for anything in particular at the time because we're just having people pick up the food and deliver it places, although there are a lot of potential opportunities for things we can do with money. So that's the new thing I'm looking into, and I'm definitely getting adult help from that. Although I uh, just, do have plenty of just to clarify, so things, people, it's just a different lens.
0: Just to clarify so our, our listeners know, uh, you're not terribly old yourself. You just got back from your year in seminary, so that would make you, what, like 19 years old now? Uh,
1: yeah, I actually
0: just turned 19 last week. Wow, okay, so so you was founded by a sophomore, but um, being run now by someone not much older. Um, and so, if you do raise this money, um, I'm also in the same stages now trying to raise money to expand. Uh, what would you hope to expand to?
1: I'm sorry, I didn't catch that.
0: Oh, yeah, if, if you're able to raise this money, um, do you have some plans of how you'd like to spend it, some of the ways that the organization might grow?
1: Oh, yeah, so, okay. One of our big projects every year is called the Pumpkin Project. Basically, at, right around Halloween time, um, the, the day or two after Halloween is over, we collect pumpkins and patches all around the St. Louis area, and we bring them to a culinary institute that we have a partnership with, and we turn them into pie, puree, soup, etc. cetera, um, and then we give them out to people throughout the upcoming months. So we often need supplies for that. That's our main financial burden right now is just being able to buy the sugar, the flour, anything else we might need to make the puree into other foods that we can then distribute um additionally we're looking into doing other events like that throughout the year um different more food bank type activities such as like making lunches for people out on the streets. one of the biggest homeless shelters in st louis is actually potentially being closed down due to a whole legal business battle in the city so There's a lot of people who are really under a lot of stress right now just to get by day-to-day. So we're really looking into being able to help them with food and with potentially other resources. We do winter clothes drives every year. We could definitely use money to buy specific things that are needed. Shoes are always in big demand. Um, Different materials, different hygiene products, they're all needed. And there are definitely people always willing to take them. So we would love to start getting involved with providing those if we can. Um, the priority is definitely food, but even that, there is more of a need that we could be addressing if we had
0: more money, for sure. Awesome. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today and for doing amazing work and for uh, being a young kid who is uh, willing to change the world. Thank you so much. Wow, what an incredible uh, couple of guests we had today. Uh, a family that brings young children into their home because the need was there, and then some couple of teenagers who saw hungry people, saw extra food, and saw that they could bring the two together and and fill that need. Um, I hope everyone here listening realizes that all of us have the opportunity. All the time, we have opportunities to step up, to hear the call when there's a need, and and we can make a difference in someone else's life. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, tune in next week, same time, same place.